Hello, welcome to the Better Questions Podcast. So grateful you have joined us. I am here at the studio, aka my office, with the one, the only, Jordan Greer. Welcome, Jordan. Thanks, Matt. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, Jordan is on staff with here at Eastminster as a pastoral intern. Uh, she is a graduate of Gordon-Conwell Seminary, as well as Sterling College, swords up. Um, <laughs> grateful to have her here. Uh, Jordan is a, a, a also an adjunct professor. She is a theologian, smart mind, pastor, all the things. And I wanted to throw some questions your way. Is that cool? Yeah, I'm so excited for them. All right, here we go. So these questions have been sent in. They've been sitting in my inbox for some time. And the first question is, if bad company corrupts good character, should I stop hanging out with my unbelieving friends who are a bad influence on me? Mm -hmm. And I will say uh, this question was sent in anonymously. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I think that this is a really good question to ask and it's very practical. So I'm excited to try to tackle this with you today. Um, I think that this person, whoever's asking this, I wish they were sitting in the room here with us. I would just love to hear their story and hear more details about this because I don't think there's a black and white answer here. I don't, um, I think that there are so many factors that could play into how I would respond to this person. Mm -hmm. But I think overall, this person is asking a really good question. And the purpose is to find out, should I stop hanging out with these people? And they've already recognized that they're a bad influence on them. And Mm -hmm. I think that is like the, the key part of the question for me. I think if it was just, should I stop hanging out with unbelieving friends, we would be having a different conversation. Right. But with the ending with a bad influence on me, man, that's really um, resonating in my mind. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's the key piece to this question that sort of changes how I would respond is um, if, if the people we are hanging out with are all believers and are all sort of in a Christian bubble and um, we aren't out in the world. I think that becomes really problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, you know, whenever you you spend time with people who aren't like you um, for long periods of time, a lot of research shows that like you you become a more extreme version of yourself in unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think being around people who are different and also just being in the world is super important uh, at, for the Christian witness. Jesus was no stranger to the poor, to tax collectors who are kind of seen as a sinful uh, profession, if you will, uh, with prostitutes. Like these are people whom the world has cast aside and yet Jesus was totally like, hey, these are my people. I want to be with them. But he also wasn't like, you know, hanging out at the brothels and like Mm -hmm. being in places for extended period of times where, uh, because I do think that there is a a place where – you are who your friends are. And if your friends are people who are living in destructive ways, there is a, a boundary mm-hmm. that I think is important. And it's important to have um, people close to you who are going to lift you up as opposed to drag you down. And again, how to discern that, I think is, is maybe one of the, the bigger questions too. Right. And even asking the question, are these my closest friends? Like right. if these people are 
and I know that they're a bad influence on me, then perhaps it's not just getting rid of them as friends or abandoning them, but maybe we bring in people who are um, stronger Christians or people that we do want to be like right. to be our closer friend group. And that can be a challenge. Like making friends in this age is really hard because yeah. where do we meet them? Especially for young adults, like in their 20s and 30s. Right. It's a hard time to find and make friends. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that's part of the challenge. Like even just in general, I think about it, like go back to college you're in an environment where you have people around you all the time. You probably have a roommate or if you're at a fraternity sorority, multiple roommates that you live with, you do life with. Maybe you were a basketball player. Mm-hmm. So you spent a lot of time on the bus. Those were the best, right? Traveling <laughs> so to away fun. games. <laughs> great, na- great naps. <laughs> I would nap on the floor of the bus. My headphones, you know, just, just to get some Z's. Mm-hmm. Um, Long drives, you're with people, you're at meals. All of your meals are communal. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to a cafeteria with people every single day. I was that introvert who would, like, take my meal to go sometimes to the dorm just because I needed to get away from people. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was just such a communal experience. Mm-hmm. To go from that to transitioning into, like, the world of being an adult is super lonely for a lot of people because... I think we're in, in that sort of college age lifestyle, like you're surrounded by people all the time and it's not something you have to be intentional about. The time in that transition, like all of a sudden, if you want friends, like you have to put yourself in uncomfortable like mm-hmm. places. Right. You have to show up to that young adult event the church is hosting. You have to uh, go to that um sporting event or, or whatever it might be where other people are and actually make the effort. And I think that's what happens so often is that sort of 22, 23, 24 transition from mm-hmm. college to adulthood. Um, people really wrestle with loneliness. Um, and just to speak to this question, like I, I think friendships are one of the most important and under, um, promoted or or underserved um, aspects of a healthy uh, just relationship to people around us to Mm -hmm. the world and so much mental health issues I find is can be like pointed back to isolation absolutely and loneliness um, that isn't dealt with yeah absolutely and and I think if this person were sitting here my encouragement would be do you have any Christian friends because that's it's so important for us to be in community with other believers where Mm -hmm. we're being encouraged, where we're being built up, where we're being edified. And, you know, maybe it is at that young adults group at your church, or maybe you, you know, know believers that go to different churches in your community and you have them. I think what I would say is, is there a way for you to start merging your two worlds? Like, could you even invite one of your Christian friends to be with you in that Um, new space or even an unbelieving friend with you in a Christian space. Because for me, that is one of the ways, like when I see my two worlds collide with, you know, we could call it evangelism or on the other end, discipleship, there, there is this cool thing that happens for me where I feel like I'm, I'm living out the gospel and living out the great um, commission where, yes, I am being formed by people but I'm also going out into the world and sharing the light of Jesus with others. 
And Sam Chan talks about this. He has a PhD in something, something incredible. And he talks about one of the best ways that as Christians, we can be whole people is we don't want to be isolated in, in general, Mm. but we also don't want to be isolated into either just Christian community or just non-Christian community because we need both. Like that is how the kingdom works and that's how Jesus worked. Yep. And so I think for me, I would just share, like try to start merging those two worlds together. Um, And then the other thing that's super important for me would be, does this person respect you and know you? Mm. Like for your unbelieving friends who are a bad influence on you, do they know your story? Do they know your values? Do they know what you stand for? Do they know that you're a Christian? Do they know that you hold Christian values? And if that's the case, do they respect you and those values? Because you can like somebody, you can be friends with somebody. And if they're not respecting you, I I would, I would question that friendship. Like, are they really your friend and why do you want to continue that friendship? I think Mm. that's, that's perhaps the better question is like, do I want to be like this person and do they respect me as who I am? No, that's good. That's really good. Um, I think underneath the question, there's, there's, there is a, you know, I I think about friendships in in my life where maybe they were not the best influence, Mm -hmm. but like, I also care about those people. And like, I don't, I don't, I know that I was a good influence on them. Mm -hmm. And so I do wonder, um, I think that's the the bigger piece of being able to like process those things to you in the midst of a bigger Christian community and um, where I think there is a time. Like, let me give you a specific example. Mm-hmm. Like if if a friend, a friend of mine who's struggling with substance abuse, right? Um, but they're, they're sober, they've been on the road to recovery and they have friends and groups who drink social drinking and binge drinking or whatever is Mm -hmm. a part of their culture like there comes a time where you just need to cut relationships because um if you're around those people it's going to lead to destructive behavior or another example might be um you're in a a relationship with a significant other or even just a friendship um where there is abusive behavior whether it's gaslighting or like people who um, make you feel really bad about yourself. Like there comes a time in those to set hard lines and boundaries and like living in a space where you can still have a posture of love and forgiveness towards that person while at the same time, um, maybe not being the person you hang out with. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the one other caveat to this question is there comes a time to stop like hanging out with people, Mm -hmm. especially when their behaviors are destructive. And it can feel like you're abandoning them. Mm -hmm. Like you're like, oh, I'm not a good Christian because I'm judging them or I'm I'm leaving them in a time of need. But at the end of the day, you're actually doing them more harm um, by enabling those behaviors where actually the act of love in that is to say, no, those behaviors are destructive. And by showing you that this relationship can't continue in that way, like I'm actually a form of loving that person. As hard as that is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, good. Um, thank you for submitting that question. Um, I have one that is off the cuff. I didn't send this to you ahead of time. That's okay. It's election day, or it was election day yesterday. Mm-hmm. And this question was submitted. I, I just never even like, 
I never wanted to touch it, but it's a it's a good question. He goes, if Jesus was walking the earth today, would he be a Republican or a Democrat? <laughs> <laughs> I know, quite the question. Oh my goodness! I funny story. I sent that uh, my wife posted on Instagram a picture of um, our baby Maddie uh, with the "I Voted" sticker because she took her to the polls. And I got a I got an Instagram comment from my friend Calvin, and he said, "Bro, that's voter fraud." <laughs> and I was like, I was like, "Don't worry, bro. She voted Libertarian. Baby Maddie's a, a big Libertarian voter." But yeah. anyway. Side note, what do you think? And it's okay, it, don't feel like, you, don't worry, whatever you say here is a safe space. <laughs> is it? Yeah, <laughs> it is. No, that's, that's actually a good question. And I think that a lot of people probably have that question. So yep. I'm happy to, to jump in and share some thoughts. Uh, my first thought is, is neither. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think that Jesus would... Um, hold a party line. I think that he would hold values from both, just mm. as the scripture talks about. Um, and I also don't think that he would perpetuate the division among believers who hold different parties. Mm. Um, I think that he would probably be more concerned with their unity yeah. than um, their loyalty to a different party. And I think that's like it's such a hard thing especially in the church because even you know at, at our church we have people on different sides and we have people not on either side right. like we have moderates we do have people that are independents and so i think if jesus showed up here he would be less focused on which person we voted for or which um, party we fall into and would be more focused on are you being loyal and unified with the people around you mm -hmm. in your kingdom work that I've called you to, and right. this is secondary. Yeah. I, I don't think he would say it's unimportant Yep. because it does affect our lives. It does affect our daily living. But I think that he would focus <laughs> more on the division that we've created between yeah. each other rather than, um, I think he would push for our unity and loyalty to one another in the kingdom first mm. before our loyalty to a party. Right. And it's just, I think one of the challenges, even just in the framing of the question, it's just like, you're trying to take this person who lived and not only a person, but God himself who walked <laughs> the earth 2000 years ago, and then like translate that into 21st century American politics, like, right. like a totally different system than what he would have experienced. And, you know, uh, I, I just think, like, cause you can try to draw parallels. Like the Sadducees are kind of like the, you know, the the secular liberals. Uh, they don't believe in, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, and then you've got like the religious conservatives and the Pharisees. But they really don't fit those categories very mm -hmm. well. So like, even trying to be like, well, Jesus was against both. I, even like trying to like fit Jesus into this box. It just it, it's hard because our categories fall apart. Absolutely. And that's how, that's how we talk about politics in America. It's like, you're blue, you're red, you're okay. left, you're right, or you're, you know, libertarian or green party, whatever. But like, at the end of the day, um, these categories are just so foreign to the, the world Jesus lived in. Now, there are principles. Mm -hmm. And like, I think the church can absolutely speak on social, economic, political realities, because the Bible speaks to those things. Um, racism is a sin. 
violating the second uh, amendment or the or not amendment, the second commandment to love your neighbor, um, to the commands to lift up the poor, defend the rights of the oppressed. These are all like moral imperatives for the believer. Um, and so we should speak to that. We should speak to the sanctity of life. We should speak to mm. issues. But I think when we cross the line from speaking to the categories the Bible speaks to into political alignment mm-hmm. and like being like, well, Jesus would vote this way. Um, I, I, I really do think we're crossing a line and, and sort of playing a dangerous game. And it's also, I know it doesn't do well for the outside looking in at the church when the church has in many ways leverage politics for political power. Right. Like, this is something we've seen um, in the last 20 years very, very prominently. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that one of the ways that I'm, I'm just trying to create a picture for us even within within churches is d- different denominations like yeah. oh i'm a baptist though no, i'm a presbyterian mm. or i'm a methodist whatever the case is like we even see this division among ourselves and with the parties like the the political parties i think and, and uh, i think some people would disagree with this but mm-hmm. i think that as Christians and the values that we hold, I think they're very similar on both sides of the party. I just think that how we go about accomplishing those hmm. are very different. Like the methods are very, very different and the values that we put emphasis on. Hmm. And so, and I think the same is true with denominations. Like I think certain denominations put an emphasis more on one thing than the other, and that creates division. But I don't think that that's our only option, especially as believers who are called to unity. Um, I think that we have the option to focus on the ways that we are similar and the ways that we are um, on the same page because we may have the same intentions and we're just not even recognizing that because of how we're going about it. Right. And we're saying, oh, well, this person's doing it differently than I should, than I would. And so they're wrong. Yeah. And I think that that's it's not helpful. Right. And I think there's a way for us to come together and to be unified on what we do value and then to disagree in a healthy way on the way that we go about it. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. That reminds me of uh, Keller. Tim Keller wrote a New York times piece on this issue and he's writing to a secular audience, like Mm -hmm. trying to be winsome and, but he makes a really good point at the end. He says, Christians are pushed to two main options. One is to withdraw and be apolitical. Mm. Um, The second is to assimilate and fully adopt one party's whole package in order to have your place at the table. And he said, neither of these options is valid. Um, And he points to uh, the Good Samaritan parable in the Gospel of Luke where uh, Jesus points us to a man risking his life to give material help to someone of a different race and religion. Um, he forbids us to withhold help from our neighbors and, and that this will mm. inevitably like require us to participate in the political process. Like if we're going to do those things, like we're going to, we can't just do it outside the system. Like right. we are going to have to be part of it. Um, and at the same time, I think that like there, it, Jesus is clear on the, the, uh, view on his view on marriage between a man and a woman and has this like this what some would see as a really narrow view of sexuality um, 
but like these are things that Jesus speaks speaks to and I think like when we think about the big picture like we can't totally withdraw from it like we have to be able to engage in a way um, and Keller says it really well he says we can't be only offensive or only attractive to the world um, or it says if we are only offensive or only attractive to the world and not both we can sure be sure we are failing to live as we ought. Mm. And so his point is saying like, it's somewhere in the messy middle of like, we have to have um, a, a true understanding and belief for the ethics of the scriptures. Right. And yet at the same time, um, be able to win people and love people and, um, you know, find a way to be winsome, which is hard to do. Keller's one of the best at it. Yeah, absolutely. We don't always get that right. Yeah, I think it can be super hard to um, recognize that our involvement is so important and also feel the weight of, like, how big America is. Like, is my, does my voice count? And, of course, yes, it does. Like, that's Mm -hmm. been drilled in our heads our whole lives. But, like, I think what might be more helpful for us is to focus on the ways that we can display and demonstrate and even equip people in our community to live out the biblical values that we hold Mm. because i think that would have that has more influence and weight than like thinking about these these values on the national scale like they still matter yep but our influence is where we are and so i think as if we can be um maybe even just encouraging the people in our church to care for the poor and um, for the homeless or the widow or the unborn, mm-hmm. defending the unborn. Like that is where our yeah. influence lies. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we treat it all as a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, that's where, whether it's single issue voting or, or whatever, like, I just think it's, it's, it's a complex thing. And I, again, I don't get this right. I don't know what the right thing is, but I just know I find myself sort of struggle when I see the church being like, here is how you should vote. And right. like very clearly, this candidate, we're going to put that candidate's name out. I mean, that's, I think, crossing lines um, where, um, yeah. So to answer the question, was Jesus a Republican or a Democrat? The answer is no. No, he was oppressed. <laughs> There you go. He was nailed to a cross yeah. by the government. Kind yep. of. Um, good. That was out of left field. Way to go. We crushed that. Um, I've got one more question for you. This question comes in. Another anonymous question submitted. Um, and the question is a personal one. It's when I pray and study the scriptures, why is that that Though I do these things, I don't feel God. Mm-hmm. I love this question because it's so practical. And I think maybe we've all been there. And, you know, I think there's a lot of good questions on this podcast. I love it. And some of them are very theological and abstract. And this one is really on the ground. Mm-hmm. And this is going to impact somebody's life. So I'm so excited to talk about this question. Um I just want to first say, like, I've been there. Like, I've been in those moments where I've been praying and studying my Bible and being in community and going to church and going to worship, and yet I don't feel anything. Mm -hmm. And I just want to normalize that experience because 
depending on the background that you grew up in, like that can be really damaging to have that view of like, I'm not experiencing God the way that I should be or the way that I've seen it done around me. And I think that can be like really damaging to our walk with Jesus because it's it's not going to be the same every day. We're not going to be constantly fueled by right feelings and emotions and like i just want to normalize that and say i can empathize yeah no i i would agree with that 100 percent, and absolutely know the feeling um you know there's there's so many often so so often we see in the psalms uh david talk about how you know, his soul is so distraught. His soul is so, um, he's experiencing all this turmoil and sadness and there's a darkness and he, he, he goes on and on and on. And then he'll, he'll flip it and it'll be like, and yet I worship you, my mm, king. Yeah. It's, a, it's such an interesting thing. How can David in one hand be like completely rocked and emotionally distraught and yet still, um, still have a posture of yet even though i don't feel it mm-hmm. like even though i don't feel it in my gut right now or like my emotions aren't aren't like bringing me to like i love you it's more like i'm depressed yeah he still is willing to say but i know these to be true right so sometimes i think there's a disconnect between our head and our heart mm-hmm. or like i know things that are true about god but like emotions are a a tricky thing because emotions can often um be deceitful. We see this in the Proverbs. We see this in Jeremiah. Like the, a man's heart is a, is a deceitful, wicked thing. Like we can't trust it. Um, and so I think, I think sometimes like there are things we need to just be reminded of um, that like, even though like I may spend an hour reading my Bible and time in prayer and just feeling like God is silent or like not, I'm not connecting or I'm not feeling, or I'm in a worship service. People around me are raising their hands and, and crying out to God. And I'm just like dead inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's an extreme example. Like I've been in those places where I'm yeah. like, man, I just don't feel the, the, the things that I feel like I should feel. And that can be isolating. Cause you're like, well, am I not a real Christian? Am I not saved? Am I, like, what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. And I think, I do think that, like, it's an interesting balance because part of faith and part of what worship does is that it stirs our affections for God. Right. And, like, it stirs our emotions and moves us. Um, but I do think that there are times when we can still worship and we can still pray and we can still do the practices that we we do in our faith even without feeling it right. and i think it's important for us and this is why spiritual disciplines is so important because mm-hmm. you know i think of the illustration and it's an overused illustration he's all the time but like weightlifting, right mm-hmm. i go to the gym uh if i go in today and did squats i would i would look in the mirror and be like wow my legs they look the same you know like i don't feel anything like mm-hmm. whatever but the next day super sore tons of pain i haven't lifted in months like i can't get out of bed sore and like over a month of committing to the same practice little thing every day all of a sudden i started like whoa my thighs are looking chiseled that was a weird thing to say on a podcast 
Um, but like all of a sudden, like you notice, you know, you look in the mirror, you see a difference. Like, I think that's part of why we commit to spiritual disciplines right. like prayer and reading the scriptures, because sometimes in one moment, you might not get anything out of it or feel God in the moment. But if you commit to that over a long period of time, all of a sudden you do have a moment where God speaks to you mm-hmm. or you have a moment where you sense the love of God in a new way. And it, it, we want, we're in an instant results culture. We want to have it and have it now. And I think sometimes it, it's the long game of patience and practice that we miss. Yeah. And I think I would just add to that. What is the desired outcome yeah. for our worship and our prayer? Because I can remember different points in my life, mainly in my first few years of college, of just how am I supposed to worship God if I don't feel him? Or like feeling mm. this weight of I like people around me are crying and worshiping and feeling God's presence right now and I'm not. And so that became my focus and that became my goal and my hoped for outcome mm. through worship was to experience God in this very emotional way rather than going to worship because God is worthy of our worship, regardless of how I feel. And that yeah. makes me think of what you said about weightlifting. Like, I think there's such a difference between motivation and discipline. Like motivation yeah. is going to get me out of bed. I'm going to go to the gym, whether like, it, and it's exciting and, you know, it's something that you feel at like the start of a diet or the start of a new right. workout schedule. But discipline is the thing that you experience halfway through this long mm. cycle of working out where you get up and you're not motivated. Right. But you do the hard thing. You go even when you don't feel like it because you know it's what's best for you. And that's discipline versus motivation. And I think the same thing happens with our worship and our prayer and our study of scripture is that our motivation and our disciplines are going to be different. Like there are going to be days where you want to spend time in the Lord's presence and you want to experience him and feel him like that. And that's okay. That's a great desire. But what about the days where you don't feel like it? Mm. And for me, that's where the discipline of spiritual practices comes in. And I'm so thankful in our young adults group with you, Matt, like I'm so excited to be talking about Sabbath and other spiritual practices coming up because for me, And those have carried me through the hardest times of my life. When the pandemic hit, when COVID hit, I did not feel God's presence. And I think a part of that was just being isolated from the community of God. And that that's really life-giving for me. But during that time period, like I really had to stick to a Sabbath. I had to stick to um, getting into community, whether that was on Zoom or just with a small group. And those things that God has given us as a good gift has been what has carried me through those difficult times when I'm not feeling mm. God. And and the outcome is, you know, there there have been times where God has spoken to me or I've felt God, but I wouldn't say that that's the normal experience. I would say that that's the exception and that happens um, less frequently than, you know, not feeling something. Because right. our worship, in my opinion, is is not about what we get to feel, but it's about God being worthy of our worship. And he is worthy of our prayers and our time because he is God almighty. Like right. he is, he is God. And um, those, that, that perspective of like worship is not about me. It affects me, of course. And yeah. it's important for me, but it is to worship God because that is what is best 
And that's what he's called us to. Hmm. That's really good. No, I that on. What is prayer? Like, what is prayer for? That's a, just a great, like a better question. Boom. <laughs> Podcast plug. That is a better question because I think oftentimes we, we frame prayer as what can I get out of this? Mm-hmm. What, what, what's in it for me? Um, and, and the scriptures do tell us to ask and you shall receive, like pray right. and petition God. He doesn't grow tired yes. of our petitioning him, but at the same time, um, it's not, it's, it's not about us per se. And I think in the midst of it, God is doing something to us when we pray, he's changing our desires, right? It's almost like we ask for winning the lottery. And if we are faithful in prayer and seeking God, God will change our desire. Like, you know, I mean, Powerball will be nice. It's at like two billion right now, <laughs> but like maybe he cultivates a new desire to um, love the world and, and love others, and and like our desires begin to change. It's like there's something really beautiful about that. Yeah, and I and I also think that. Um, wait, I forgot what I was going to say. That's okay. That's what this is a podcast. You can forget, and you just roll with it. Here's a question, and it's so off the cuff and random, <laughs> but I have to ask because I was thinking about it the other day. If you won the $2 billion Powerball, right. what would you spend the money on? Oh, and man. you don't have to like, obviously you tie 10% well, yeah, and give obviously. money to the board. Like what fun things would you do? Okay. Um, or cool things like, you know, build a well. That's a good question. I know. And there's so many takes. Yeah. Like you could do the wise one of like investing and then like yeah. multiplying that. But do you need to? No. Ah, man, I think I would buy like a mansion, mm. some nice cars. What else? Maybe an island. I might buy an island. That's what I want to do. No way. I want to buy an island in Canada, but I also, I'm going to need a plane. Canada? Yeah. Like great fishing. <laughs> but I have it all planned out. I used to watch Island That's Hunters. That's not where I think of buying an island. <laughs> well, listen. No, no, no. Trust me. Uh, I used to watch Island Hunters, and so many of these islands for sale are in Canada, like like uh, rustic. Um, and what I would do is I'd build a helicopter, or uh, helicopters make me nervous. I'd, I'd buy a private jet, and I'd find a, you know, somewhere in Ottawa or some some place not too far away from the island. I could, I could fly my family in. We'd take a, you know... Do they have Ubers in Canada? Sure. Okay. We take an Uber uh, to our boat. We take our boat to the island because it is an island. Okay. And the island would be totally off the grid. Like when we'd have, you know, we'd have electricity, but like, it would just be like, it'd be totally built from the ground up. We would build a house, not the island, the house. (laughs) We'd have a dock, we'd have boats to fish and we just live off the land. Like you're in Canada. Very Canada. Yeah. Yes. That's what I'm going to do. Um, but the Powerball is really hard to win. It's like the odds are not in your favor. Who do you contact to buy that island? Canada? Well, I'd go back to Island Hunters and HGTV um, and find the location of this one island that I want in particular. And then I would... <laughs> Don't say it because somebody might steal it. You're right. And then I would reach out to my friend who lives in Canada, my friend Jeremy. Shout out to Jeremy. I hope he listens to this podcast. And he'd hook me up with a realtor... Makes sense. Island realtor, because those are things. Wow. Um, okay, we really got off track. Yeah. Um, here's one thing that I was thinking about before I went on that random detour. 
Uh, I think about Psalm 88, which is, if you've read it, it's a, a dark psalm. Um, the lines are, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn to your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with troubles. My life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. And it goes on. I can read the whole thing, but it, I mean, it just goes on. It's like, it's it's a, it's a what Walter Brueggemann calls a psalm of disintegration. And what's beautiful about these psalms is they're psalms of like expressions of real grief and sadness and anger. And part of like the beauty is that the, God's not afraid of that. Mm-hmm. He's not afraid of our that our deepest despair, our, our darkest moments. In fact, he wants us to bring those to him. Not so that he gives us like a immediate, you know, cheap answer like, well, here's how I'll solve all your problems. Right. But because part of being human means that we are going to experience difficult, uh, hard things. And I think part of the theme of Psalm 88 is that when you experience times of spiritual dryness, where like you don't feel God, um, where God isn't real to you and it doesn't feel like you have any favor in your life. Um, we are still called as hard as it is to live faithfully towards God without those feelings of his presence. Because the truth is God has never left us in the midst of it. He's saying, in your despair, bring that to me. I am here. I can empathize with you because I, too, have suffered. Um, and I think in those times where God feels absent or God, we can't feel him, I think we can actually learn things about our own heart. And again, for every believer, we sing the song, Come Thou Found. We're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Mm-hmm. Like That's a really heavy line. Yeah. We sing it like Sunday all the time. And I'm like, <laughs> I see y'all singing that. Like, that's we're all prone to wander though. Right. And so I think like um you have to experience and expect both kinds of things. The times where God's joy is so overwhelming that yeah. it brings you to a place of tears. Like I have moments in my life where I have cried or like experienced an overwhelming sense of God's love. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I've had times where I feel nothing. Right. And that does not mean that in the moment when I felt nothing, that God wasn't present. Absolutely. I think that's that's my favorite thing that you've said in this question is that regardless of the feeling, the lack of feeling of God's presence, like it's still true. Like God's presence is with us. That mm. is the promise. And that in the New Testament, you know, the Holy Spirit is sent. And we have this promise that in our prayers and in our everyday life, like the Spirit is in us, interceding for us. And and here's the the prayers of our heart's desire that we may not even be consciously aware of. And like those those groanings that he has mm. are sent up to the Father's ear. And to Jesus, who's interceding on our behalf right next to the Father. And, like, that presence is true, even when our feelings don't follow the truth. Boom. I'm going to close with this quote from Tim Keller, because he always 
he always hits the point. In his book, Meaning of Marriage, he says, in every marriage, at some point, every couple may say, I know we are married, but I don't feel married. I don't even doubt your love for me, but I don't feel your love for me because you're not expressing your love to me like you once did. I know I'm married, but I don't feel married. Hmm. And he's not saying, like when we think about, um, we think about our relationship with God, we think about the way in which we, we connect God, it's not that you would understand the concept of Christ's love, but that you're actually going to experience the actuality of Christ's love in your life, that you will experience it in such a deep and incredible way, this inner experience that Christ becomes so real to you. It's as if he's another person in your life. Like that is profound and incredible um, that his love and approval is more real, more affecting, more precious, more important than anything. Your parents love, your children's love, your spouse's love, any of that. And yet there are times where we may not feel like you live with someone for 20 years. I've been married for 10 years. I love my wife to death. And she would say first, before me, there are times when you may not feel that, but you know it. Right. There's a depth there. There is a, a, a deepness there. And that pales so, so much in comparison to, I think, just the knowledge and love that Christ has for us that, um, Though you may not feel it, uh, there is a depth and a trueness and a realness of Christ's love for us, the actuality of his love that changes us. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that I would just add to whoever's asking this question that because you don't feel God's presence or you're not moved um, within your emotions or within yourself, that... Um, that God's not at work. And it also doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you've done something wrong. I think yeah. that's like a huge thing that I've questioned in those moments. Like we're all sinners, you know? And so I'm just asking, you know, back in college, I'm sitting in a uh, chapel and I'm asking like, God, I don't feel you. Have you removed yourself from me? Like, did I do something wrong? Is mm. my sin too much? And I just want to encourage whoever asked this question, like you haven't, done enough wrong to get rid of God's presence. Like God has promised that nothing can separate you from his love, not death, nor life, nor anything in this world. And so just rest assured that if you're not feeling God, like you are a normal person and that um, God's silence is not um, a reaction to all of the things that you've done. His, His reaction to all the things that you've done is the cross and the resurrection and his immense love for you. Boom. Jordan, it's been a great, great time. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you all who are listening. Uh, I would love if you would send in more questions. There are no bad questions. Um, Whatever's on your mind, whatever's on your heart, send them in. Betterquestions at eastminster.org or you can go to our website, eastminster.org slash betterquestions. Submit those and I would love to hear from you. Thanks again for tuning in. And I will see you, not see you, but you will hear my voice in your feeds next week. Grace and peace.